Welcome to the Journey of a Christian Dad podcast. I'm your host, Dan Lewis. Who is the spiritual leader of your family? Is it you, your pastor, your spouse, the media? Do you know? I did. And sadly, no one was taking responsibility to lead our family. Well, friends, someone needs to take that job, and that man is you. You may not feel qualified, and some days I don't. With the help of God and a community of dads helping each other on their journey, you can be the leader your family deserves. We welcome you to the Journey of the Christian Dad podcast. All right, let's get going with the Apple Podcast Review of the Week. So this one is from Paul32. So Paul says, great podcast. You should listen. If you're a Christian dad or just want to learn how to be a better man and leader, check out this podcast. In episode one, Dan talks to a Navy SEAL, Paul P. Thank you, Paul P. Appreciate your Apple podcast review of the week. Just makes me feel cool knowing that I once talked to a Navy SEAL and we got it all recorded. Actually, that was a fantastic episode, Surviving the Storms. So uh, I do recommend you checking that one out. Man, he was great. Let's jump in. Let's jump in. So this week, man, talking about Navy SEAL and going right to a doctor, man. We've got Dr. Nick Satello on with us today. Nick has spent his life helping people to realize their potential, and he's got all kinds of stuff in his background bag. He's uh, 20 years of professional helper with youth corrections. He's got a master's degree in marriage and family therapy, PhD, uh, professional counseling, graduate student instructor. So he's been teaching people to, to go forth and uh, married to his wife, Angela. He's got two sons. Anyway, Nick Satello. So he's pretty simple. His contact info is www.nicksatello.com. So Nick, welcome. I'm so thrilled to have you on. We've kind of known each other for years and years and years, but this is the first time we've actually really got to have a extended interaction. So Nick, welcome to the show. Thanks, Dan. Appreciate you having me on and looking forward to a, a great conversation. Yes, yes. Nick, you have uh, got all kinds of different things. I love the fact that uh, you're a sports guy and uh, you, you coach some elite athletes, or not elite, but very competitive. Uh, we're not talking professional athletes yet, but some of them might be on their way. So I love that about you. Before we started, we were talking about, you know, kind of two camps of people out there. We've got some Christians who are sissies. And then we've got the, the go get them guys, the 75 hards, the, you know, hard chargers and the, the ones that are all about the ways of the world and high achievement. And both of us were just kind of laughing. We're like, it's not the way it's supposed to be. We're supposed right. to blend the two of them. And I know you like to talk a lot about mindset, mission and movement. So I love the three M's. Let's just kind of talk on that for a bit and feel free and throw some background in there or wherever you want to go with sure. that. But I think that's a great place to start. I appreciate that, Dan. I appreciate you giving me a, throwing me a bone there about, you know, the way I approach the work with people that I do more so in my coaching identity. And so mindset, mission, and movement, just like you said, and I'm a, been convinced through my own personal experience and then working with other people that it, it's all about mindset, meaning it's kind of like, like that Henry Ford quote, whether you think you can or where you think you can't, you're right. And I've seen people who have all the resources. I've seen people that have all the raw ability. I've seen people with all the opportunity, but yet they, they become their own limit. And it's, uh, it's because of what's going on in their, in their mind and, and the things that they tell themselves and the things that have been told to them that then they repeat to themselves over and over and over again. And 
So that's where I start with mindset, that if you don't have your mindset untangled and identified and upgraded, then there's really no point of doing much beyond that. Because I said, I can give you the resources, I can give you the, the foolproof plan, I can give you uh, all the other things that you need. But if something up here is telling you you can't do it, then we're sunk from, from the get-go. So that's really my approach to working with myself and working with people around, uh, no matter what the context is. At work, my own family, when I've been a coach, when I'm teaching, when I'm just giving somebody a, a, an ear and a shoulder to lean on, I'm, I'm listening for mindset type problems. Mm. So I was reading, uh, reading the book In Awe by John O'Leary. And John was talking about when he was a kid and he was burned over 99% of his body and should have died. And his story is unbelievable. But one of the things that uh, one of the doctors that he went to go see to help do a hand surgery on him, saw him, saw John, saw how disfigured he was and, and what bad shape he was. And he looks over at his nurse and he's like, somebody shoot this horse. And the parents and John just left that appointment, just so deflated and couldn't believe a, a medical doctor would say something like that in front of the patient, in front of a, a little kid at all that. They do some more research. They find a different doctor to go see. And John looks at the doctor and he says, what do you see? What do you think? And he sticks his hands up that the doctor's in theory going to do surgery on and, and help get him to a better state. And the doctor says, you are as beautiful as an Italian sunset. I cannot wait to see what we can do together. This, like, this is so good. And the extremes of that, you know, one speaking into him, Hey, you're like a, a, a lame horse. We should just shoot you and put you out of your misery to going to the Italian sunset side of things. Right. And I'm like, man, the people around you, what they speak into you is such a big deal. My youngest daughter, uh, uh, yeah. somebody said something to her about her having a bad memory. So the other day she's like, Hey, what was the title of this book? And she goes, dad, you know, I got a bad memory. I can't remember that. And I said, yeah, yeah. I heard you say that, but like, you told me the title of this book. Well, and she told me, I'm like, now do you have a bad memory or a good memory? Hmm. hmm. Well, I was told I have a bad memory. I'm like, well, you just did something that required memory. Like, mm -hmm. and so I'm trying to work with her and build, build that back up in her. Cause she's pretty smart. Right. She's pretty smart, but she heard that, you know, a few times repetitively and is rolling with it. And I'm like, that's not going to serve you well for the rest of your life if you buy into that one. So love that you started right there because it's so true. And, and this stuff gets planted on us when we're kids. Absolutely. A lot of the things that plague us as adults did start out as messages that we internalized as kids. So that, is, that is actually one of the things that I will walk most anybody through is really kind of when I said untangle, you know, the, that's part of the untangling. So using your you know, daughter's example, if, you know, if she were to have gone into adulthood with this idea that I've, I've always had a bad memory. And so is that a thought that you have? Oh, yeah, it's a thought that I have all the time. So when you when you experience that thought, whose voice is it? Oh, it's this teacher that I had. Oh, okay. You know what I mean? Yeah, uh, yeah. And you kind of help them uh, trace that back, you know, follow the follow the fruit of having a bad memory all the way back to its root and then deciding, does this need to have a place in my life anymore? Does what my teacher told me when I was in second or third grade, should I be clinging to that now as an adult, now that I'm 30, 40, whatever, whatever the age is? And 
really giving people the freedom to choose differently, you know, around that. And so much of mindset limitations can be linked back to these messages that we received when we were little that we've just internalized. Yeah, not to put you on the spot, but totally to put you on the spot. <laughs> Going back to your childhood, was there something that you grabbed a hold of that maybe you carried around with you with a little bit of pride and, you know, hey, this is mine and uh, you've had to let go or not had to, but got to? Yeah, I don't know how much pride there was in it, but I did grow up with a message and I'll try to keep it family orient the message, but I uh, grew up with a message that I was a half breed Mexican and I wasn't, wasn't going to be worth much. Oh my goodness. I don't have uh, that yeah. exact in my background, but worthiness yeah. was where I was going to uh, go for my own self as yeah. well. Yeah. So, so yeah, keep talking about that. Through the course of doing what I do in terms of being a professional helper, I was involved in training programs that required you to do your own work. Right. And so that meant going to your own counseling, doing assignments that were about you know, helping you understand your development and the influences that were on your life. And so I thought that I had worked through the majority of some of these things. And in a lot of ways that I had, I had. However, in the times where, in the failures that I would experience, that's when that message would, would creep back up. One kind of example where I really was able to take that thought captive was it's going to be a silly thing, but you know, I, I live on, you know, some property has got some acreage and I was weed eating. I was weed eating around some newly planted fruit trees. And there were, there's three or four of them kind of planted in fairly close proximity. And, you know, I'm working away, buzzing along and I turn one direction fairly sharp and I, I whack into one of the new trees and it, you know, it didn't take it out. You know what I mean? It didn't um, there, you know, it survived. And of course it was going to survive. But in that moment, that, that thought came to my head that I'm a stupid half-breed Mexican and I shouldn't expect anything to go my way. Right. And I could, and I could feel the, the, the anger welling up in that. But then I was in this mode of kind of uncovering this again and exploring it. And you know, something told me to just, you know, step back from this and just, just take a look around. It's like, dude, you're on a property with three acres, right? Obviously you have this, right? And <laughs> this, nobody's going to care that you nicked this tree, you know, with, with the weed whacker. But it's like, that's what I mean. In those moments of failure where some of these things would creep up and then that potentially would spill over into the rest of the day then, right? If I were to let that negative messaging have its way with me, then who knows, where that would have gone the rest of the day or the next day. So I really had to do more work to really expose the lie that that was, where for the most part, I thought I, you know, I had it in check or I, you know, I, I pushed it out of who I was, but it was still there in those moments where I really felt like a failure. So hopefully that makes some sense around that. Oh, it absolutely makes sense. Like I'm just hanging on every word because I relate to it so much and so many people I know I hear, tell me things like that. And I'm always listening for, okay, what's next? Do you just sit with it and keep it? Or, and you mentioned you work through it. What is it in, in a case like that or something different where you work through it? What's that look like? Yeah. And so I think working through it, especially with an internalized message is understanding that thoughts are thoughts. Not everybody is in control of their thoughts. 
you may not be responsible for a thought emerging in your mind, but you are responsible for what you choose to focus on or not, right? So for example, you know, I'm looking at you, Dan, and your background is a baseball diamond. Yes. If I told you that baseball sucks and what a boring sport and why in the world would anybody want to sit there and go through a whole nine innings of baseball, right? Well, I've just created a bunch of thoughts in your head right now that you're not responsible for, right? Right. But they're there, right? You know, (laughs) you've got a, a bunch of thoughts there, but what you get to choose to focus on, you're completely responsible for, right? Yes. So if there's, and I love baseball, by the way, it's my, it's my, <laughs> it's my primary sport. Right. Yeah. But I know how to get deep, you know, hit, hit deep at it. Cause that's what gets said. Oh, it's boring. And nine, nine freaking innings, of, you know, <laughs> and, uh, but so working through it means, okay, who am I? Who was I created to be? What does the scripture say about who I am? What are, what are the promises that are laid out in the scripture that say, you know, you, you were fearfully and wonderfully knitted in the womb. What does that mean? Right. Do I choose to believe that in these moments of failure or do I choose to believe that I'm a stupid half-breed Mexican? Right. That's a, that's a choice for me to um, entertain one thought or the other. Does that make sense? Absolutely makes sense. You you have to have some clarity around who you are, who you were created to be and what does scripture say about who you are as you know, in the context of being a, image bearer and a, and a, and a child of God. And yes. I think a lot of people, including believers, aren't very clear on those things. Yeah, they absolutely. Th- they think they are, right? <laughs> or, or they assume that they are. But when things get tough, that's when you figure out. That's when you find out. So you uh, earlier, you said, t- I got to take captive that thought. Mm-hmm. And I love that active imagery, that aggressive we've got control over some things. And one of the things we have control over is our own thoughts. So in your case, the thought showed up out of nowhere in a crazy way. And we're not responsible for thoughts that show up in crazy ways, Mm -hmm. but we are responsible for then doing something with it. Absolutely. So kudos to you for recognizing in, you know, a seemingly innocent moment, no harm could be done Mm -hmm. in that second. However, if that track keeps repeating itself down the road, the next time and the next time and the next time without taking it captive, you can get it coded right back into yourself. Yeah. And, and I'll take a page out of John Eldridge's book, you know, Wild at Heart, where, you know, we think that what the enemy is trying to do is to destroy us, which sure, but all the enemy really has to do is put us on the sideline. They just have to wound us just enough to get us to say, I don't think I can do this. Uh, you know, I, I think this is beyond me. Um, I don't think that person really is going to listen to me. So I, I, I'm not going to you know, speak up anyway. You know? well, my kids aren't really connected to me. Uh, so what's the point of, of trying to you know, reach out to them? Right. So you're, you're still alive. Right. You're still going to work. You're still reading your Bible. You're still going to church. Uh, you're still, you know, going to the, the Bible studies. But you're on the sideline. Right. You've been taken out because you let that that lie rattle around in your head, right? So, uh, if, if you can take yourself out, then the enemy's job is done. Right? They don't have to take your head off. Right. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Just create some noise, some distraction, plant some. You know, the reverse planting of seeds. 
Right. Well, you it know? seeds a doubt, right? It yeah. seeds a doubt. It, and, you know, if we choose to, to water and nurture them, that's, that's all it takes. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. It's something that more and more of my friends have come around and like, okay, I'm with you. I'm with you. Or they've showed up and said, oh, good. You do that too. Um, you mentioned baseball. I'll tell you a quick short story. For a while, we had a baseball player named Tommy Pham. And he had just come up with the Cardinals. He'd played about 11 or so games, maybe 15 games with the team. And he really did pretty terribly. He was batting maybe around 100, which is terrible for people that aren't baseball fans. Miserable, as a matter of fact. And there was a, a party with a group of my friends and Tommy had got invited and he showed up as kind of a celebrity-ish type of guest, even though he's brand new to major league baseball. And, uh, but he was exciting to watch. He cared about what he was doing and you could tell he was motivated and also, uh, you know, a little bit embarrassed of his performance as I, and, uh, he's getting ready to leave the party. And I said, Hey, Tommy, I, I just want to tell you something before you go. You know, it's so neat watching you play. It's so neat giving your all. Us St. Louis fans are going to be for you as long as you're, you know, doing what you're doing now, that that hustle and, you know, consistent effort. And in your past, you've had so much success that it's going to come through for you. Those line drives that are going to gloves right now, they're going to make it. He's like, oh, cool, man. I really appreciate that. Like, that's really cool. And whatever else I said. Oh, and then he, uh, he gets ready to go on to the next person and he says, Hey, I'll try. And I grabbed his hand real tight and squeezed it. And he, you know, he's a bigger, much bigger guy than me. And he looks at me and his eyes get really big. And he says, he's like intent on whatever I'm about to say. And like, are you crazy? Why are you clenching my hand? Like you are. I said, Hey, Tommy, you mentioned that you're going to try. I'm like, let's get rid of that right now. And I'm going to do you a favor because you're going to say goodbye to another 10 or 20 people. And they might say, hey, keep doing the good job that you're doing or keep hustling or whatever. And if you say you're going to try, the next 15 or 20 people that you run into are all going to stop you. And they're all going to tell you there is no try. There's only do. You know, you, you got to get rid of that out of your language and the way that you think and keep performing, keep doing what you do, keep hustling and success is just around the corner. You got to keep believing. And it was something like that. And he stops and he goes, wow, thank you. I really appreciate that. Like, absolutely. I am going to keep doing what I do and I I'm going to keep, keep going and not let this get into my head. And he goes around, says goodbye to everybody and leaves, walks off in the darkness. And all of a sudden I see him coming back and I think he's coming for like his iPhone or something that he left at the party. And he navigates his way. It was kind of dark outside and finds me. And he says, hey, I really appreciate that talk. That really meant a lot to me. And then for the next like 10 games, he hit like Babe Ruth's best hit streak of all time, like five home runs and six doubles and a triple. And it was unreal. But I think it was just truly him having the belief that good things are going to happen and to keep hustling and to keep stepping into that positivity as opposed to uh, kind of how he showed up to the party, embarrassed of his results where he should have been proud of and, and excited about him persevering and who he was and what his purpose was. So his purpose was to be a superstar center fielder and get paid in major league baseball. So after that, ultimately that's what happened for him. He, he got paid big time. 
so yeah, it's just, just flipping your mindset, flipping your mindset and uh, being around people that have that positive shift and can keep you going whenever you need some help. So do life together. And I know that's a big part of what you do. I know you've got a tribe around you. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, you know, and some of this is, I have lots of irons in the fire, so to speak. And a couple of them are books that I've, you know, started and stopped and started and stopped. And you know, one of the books that I have is the title will be something like it's all in there, uh, meaning that a lot of these concepts that you run across in the personal development and self-help world, concepts that are found in the Bible, right? So mm-hmm. it's all in there is, is, is that idea, right? Ah, so, that's great. Yeah. Um, as opposed to always battling it. And sometimes I feel like people who are, are Christians, you know, kind of have this, they get defensive about, you know, self-help and you know, whether it's true or not, but yeah, it's all in there. Right. So I, I like to bridge the, the gaps there in terms of that, but, um, uh, but you have your tribe, right. And so, you know, is it Jim Rohn is the one that's credited with, you know, you, you are the, you're the average of the five people that you spend the most time with. Well, I, I believe that. Right. And so e- even if those aren't physical people that you spend time with, on a daily, weekly basis, right? So if you spend a lot of time watching TV, well, that's a producer, that's a writer that you are spending a lot of time with, right? You are being exposed to that producer and writer's uh, ideas about what you should be watching, what message society needs, what you should be thinking. And so it doesn't have to be an actual physical person. And so kind of examining that, like who, who, whose opinion matters to you? Who, who are you uh, being influenced by either consciously or unconsciously? And then getting really clear about that and getting really kind of recognizing, I think it's Jim Collins in one of his books, you know, from, from Good to Great, where uh, you got to imagine your life as, you know, going somewhere on a bus and then looking at your bus and making sure that uh, all the seats are filled by critical people, right? And if, if somebody on your bus isn't isn't you know on board with the, with the direction that you're going, well, you gotta you gotta figure out a way to pull that bus over and and, and ask them to leave, and then you gotta fill the seat up with somebody else, you know. And so I you know, I definitely believe that that um, you know we COVID nineteen is a great example of this, right? Where uh, whether we wanted to or not, we were forced to go inside and we were cut off from that physical connection. And a lot of people yes. suffer. A lot, a lot of people are still suffering. From that and the fallout of that. I, I live in a state where we still aren't completely open yet or not even open compared to other states. And my, my kids are still not back at school yet. And uh, oh, wow. Yeah. And so, so that kind of really put it front and center in terms of how necessary that, that meaningful connection is uh, to people. And that's, you know, we're both part of a mastermind, right? Yes. Well, what, well, what is a mastermind? Well, a mastermind is a group of people that are like minded and are you know have some commonality about we're trying to do this thing right and you know our linkage is in a mastermind that's for men who are have the goal of being legendary fathers right that's the one thing that that binds us all together in, in that mastermind mm-hmm. and so everybody needs a team and your team needs to reflect um, your goals and what your mission is mindset mission right you got to figure out yeah. what your mission is and you've got to have those people on board you got to have those people on that when you call them uh, they will pick pick up and take your call right that that's important so for me it looks like you know i need to step up my financial game so i'm i'm 
putting out my my need for that through my contacts, my current contacts, and saying, hey, I need help with this. Who, who's, who's got some names and referrals, right? And so that's something that I recently had to kind of step back and reevaluate. So I need, I need this on my team, right? I mean, that's just kind of a surfacey kind of scratching the surface of, you know, what it means to have quality people around you and like-minded people and people that you can count on and depend on. And, and here's the thing, especially for men, that, that can be, a, me, myself included, it's easy to fall into that lone wolf syndrome, right? Where I don't need anybody else. I don't, I can do this on my own. I'm okay. I'm fine. Hey, Dan, how are you? I'm good. I'm good and I'm fine. (laughs) (laughs) I'll get both of them. Right. And that can be quicksand, right? Um, That can be quicksand. And the more that you try to help yourself, the more you just sink down, right? That's my thought on that. Um, And it's also, it's including your your significant other, your spouse in in this too, right? They they often don't appreciate your lone wolf approach to life. So, yeah, talk about that a little bit more. Yeah. You know, it's the whole quintessential or stereotypical, honey, do you know where you're going? Yeah, I know where I'm going. You sure? You, you, maybe you should, you know, now we got GPS. So that's oh, yeah, you're talking about when you're driving. Got it. Yeah. yeah <laughs> we know our wives know where they're going when it comes right, to driving, absolutely. or they're going to ask real quick. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, I think that when you get right down to it, it's about the communication of plan and, and safety, right? And that's what you know, in a husband relationship dynamic, that's, that's what's going to be priority on, on her side is plan and safety. And if, if they aren't seeing or hearing a plan from you and, and if it's not looking and feeling safe, then you're going to have problems. Right. And so if you haven't demonstrated your ability to have skill in that area for whatever the need is, home repairs, property upkeep, kids that are struggling, if you don't have skill and demonstrated skill in that area, and yet you're not uh, issuing a plan, then you're creating an, a situation that's unsafe. And again, you're going to hear about it <laughs> uh, mm. from your partner. So that's what I mean. Like they don't appreciate us lone wolfing it on some of these things. Yeah, absolutely. And and the lone wolf thing that so many guys do that, and I'm a hundred percent guilty of it. My dad was a hardworking guy. So I threw that on me. I'm going to be a hardworking guy and my dad could do anything so I can do anything. And turns out uh, a lot of people can do a lot of things better than I can. And it's been so much better since I've learned to ask for help. So it's great to have you on here being one of the helpers, like what you do professionally. Yeah. You had mentioned uh, before we started recording about how you were growing up and you grew up uh, with your grandparents. And so there was maybe a story or a few stories of how you had trouble seeing God as your own loving father. I inserted the word loving just there, yeah. but I yeah. think that's worthy to include. Have you yeah. got a story or can you tell us a little bit about that? Because I, I think this is one that a lot of guys have, relate to. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that was part of that kind of that lone wolf. It's in my bones. You know, another thing that I do with people, you can, you can catch a whole episode of it on my podcast as well. I will, the upgraded life podcast, everybody. Yeah, so yeah, yeah, go ahead. I, uh, what I found is the things that I do with pretty much every person that I work with, like the things that I'm always going to say, Hey, let's, let's look at this. I've, I've turned it into a podcast. Right. And so, so that way I can just point people to it. So that way yes. <laughs> uh, they can do it on their own time and still get the benefit from it. So one of, one of the podcasts that you'll see on there is 
learning to understand your earliest memory. And it was a technique that I learned in graduate school in counseling that again, I kind of approached it with like, this is, this is kind of, this is kind of weird. And, and why am I learning this in a Christian program? Didn't really have much you know, kind of understanding for it. And I thought, it, you know, I thought it maybe, you know, I was questioning how, how scriptural it would be and you know, biblical and all that stuff. And anyway, I went through the process, uh, examined, you know, my earliest memory and lo and behold, it, it, uh, it did hold a, a script that I was playing out over and over again in my life. And so what that earliest memory was, was me. And I know the timeline for this because I know kind of when I went to go live with my grandparents, but so I had to been, you know, under two years old because I was about two, two and a half when I went to go live with my grandparents. And so it's kind of weird to think, do I have a memory? That is incredible that it goes back that far. Cause yeah. I cannot remember two-year-old stuff. Yeah. And I remember waking up in the morning, like a two-year-old might before the adults wake up and either having this pattern or having this experience of being hungry and then trying to uh, wake up my mother, my biological mother, and she couldn't or wouldn't wake up. So then I just went to the kitchen and proceeded to make my own breakfast. So, it too, wow. Yeah, and so imagine you know a two-year-old climbing up on the counters to get a bowl, to find some cereal, to get some milk, and then getting the cereal in the bowl like a two-year-old might. You know, probably probably more was on the counter and the floor than what was in the bowl and same thing with the milk, right? Probably more was you know, around the area as opposed to what may have been the bowl. But I did it, and even though it was messy, uh, I took care of myself. And so I think that uh, for me, that that lone wolf and I can do it myself stems back to that. And in a lot of ways, that's a, that's an incredible strength. Uh, in a lot of ways, and if it's my only strength, then we have problems. And so that's kind of the, the, the backdrop for it. You asked, you know, my struggle yeah. with, with God as father. And so you know, I didn't really, I wasn't raised with uh, a relationship with my biologic father. I have more of a relationship with him now, but growing up years, the formative years, the developmental years, wasn't much of a relationship there. And that's, you know, that's not necessarily his fault. It's not something I'm bitter or resentful about. It never really was, but it was just this thing that was absent from my life, father figure. And my grandfather ended up leaving our family when I was uh, between my freshman and sophomore year of high school. And so, and he had his own problems. He was a, an alcoholic with heart problems that was on, he was on heart medication, which oh, wow. caused, you know, all kinds of other problems. So uh, that wasn't necessarily, you know, the best example for me in my life either. Yeah, so I can see having a, a rough example and then having an absent example of a dad, that that would make it tough to to understand I'd God, probably, the loving father. Probably did. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. So that would be something when people would say that, loving father, Abba father, however you want to, I was just, this wasn't something that I was too tuned into. Uh, and if like a like if a message was coming across like I'm going to tell you today all about the loving father that we have, I'd just be like turn off and zone out. You know what I mean? Because it just it just wasn't something that I really mapped onto uh, in my experience. I tuned so, in a bit to the disciplinarian father. Yeah, but yeah, not, not even anything that you would anytime you would try to link father to God. I mean, it, it didn't matter what the context was. I was just you know, too, yeah, too yeah, yeah, yeah. In my case, I had a great loving dad. However, he also 
had been in the military and, you know, farmer, farm family lineage, you know, we all had this hardworking to it. So yeah, when people said you, you mentioned the word Abba father and I, you know, had that feeling of when I was a kid, like, well, let me back up from that. Like that seems a little foreign to me or a little bit scary to me. I don't know if I want to investigate that one. I'm real good with the discipline though. Like, Hey, I messed up. God help out. I know what that's like, I'm sorry. <laughs> don't, don't hit me with the lightning bolt. It, my dad didn't beat me or anything like that when I was a kid. However, that firm course correction was there. Uh, so don't relate to what, how you grew up and how you had that void there. But I do, do have my own perceptions of God through how I was raised and, you know, through my father. And I think that, again, to take another page out of Eldridge's book, right, uh, that's, that, that's the father wound and, you know, the, the claim that most of us, if not all of us, carry around some form of father wound around us. That it's going to shape how we uh, relate to ourselves, how we relate to other people, and how we uh, end up relating to, you know, the aspects of God that, that are there, including father. Yeah. So how did you work through that? Or, or what are some stories along the way to, to get you to where you are now? I think it's definitely a work in progress for sure. So the work in progress is I don't automatically reject those themes or those ideas. And I'm, I try to be conscious about um, recognizing the need for a father influence in my life. Uh, so I can accept that. Uh, I still say I'm probably bridging the gap from what my head knows and what my heart believes. I think those are two different things. Oftentimes uh, I think that's reflected in scripture too. When you look at when people make difficult decisions, either in obedience or disobedience to God, that the Bible tells us that they've made that decision in your heart, in their heart, which is very, it's very explicit about that, where I think in our Socratic method, uh, Cartesian uh, philosophical minds, we think decisions are made in the mind. Scripture says that decisions are made in the heart. And, and they uh, really are. So I know that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, mentally we try to justify it and come up with logical thinking to support the heart decision. But yeah, yeah, it's it's all there. The heart is uh, is really the one that does make the decisions, and that's you know if you get off path a little bit, the heart will bring you back. Right. So if I'm honest, I'm still I'm still in that process of bridging that gap of you know I can I can intellectually and cerebrally uh, acknowledge that God is Father and I need that role and relationship in my life there's still work to do to, to bridge that down into my heart. If you could suggest to somebody else that's right there with you, or maybe behind you by quite a bit, what type of suggestions might you have? Yeah, for somebody who struggles to see God as father? Is that yes. yes. Um, I, I think it's uh, humble yourself in, in the sight of the Lord and, and he you up. And I think it's one of those things where if you, if you're of the belief that you don't need a father, well, yes, you do. It's, sad it's something to grieve if you didn't have a father or if your relationship with your father wasn't all that great to recognize that you deserve better than that that, that that's not the way that that god intended for that to be and so i think that's, that's the first kind of does carrying on with my life with this idea that i don't need a father i don't need to relate to anyone or anything uh, in a father-son dynamic is that a good thing or a bad thing? Is that something that's going to serve me well? Is that something that's going to serve me well in my own role as father to my kids? Because if I think I don't need a father, if I, there's no role for a father in my life, 
then what shortcomings am, am I going to bring to my own relationship with the, the kids that call me father? And I'm, there's some, there has to be something. There's there. absolutely something there. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's, a, that's, that's a damaging spot. If you don't work through that yeah. and think through that, because you absolutely are going to transfer that to your kids subconsciously or, or actively absolutely. either way, yeah. but yeah, they're going to see your heart where that's at. Wow. Yeah. That's a big one. And I think the other, th- I mean, you ask for what can I, what can a guy do? Uh, you know, the biggest thing that a guy can do after, you know, humbling yourself is reach out to other men that you think have a great relationship with their, with their father and get to know that, get to experience that. So otherwise you're, you're operating out of a non-example, which is usually never, it's never going to work when you operate out of a non-example. Ooh, that's a great, yeah, that's a great suggestion. Yeah, that's a great suggestion. I heard a uh, father, Larry Richards is the guy, the guy's name. And he was talking, he talked about Abba father. And same, you know, when you mentioned those words, I backed up for a second. And when he did it, he like really dove into it and he's getting into the the meaning and everything. And he's like, you know, loving God. And I sat there and just listened to what he was saying and tried to relate and tried to really take that message in. And he basically boiled down. He says, see if you can just hang out for five minutes or 10 minutes or 15 minutes and just say Abba father and outpouring of love towards the father and receiving the love. And I was like, that one seems like a challenging one for me to do meditating or praying or what have you on a fixed thought for that long. Uh, used to be challenging still is, uh, but I'm better than I used to be. And, and that one little exercise was like really, really cool to just experience that, that warmth and that loving feeling both directions. And that, that really helped me. Yeah. And that one, as I think about doing it, you know, is scares the willies out of me. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Again, I was much more on the discipline side. So when we're talking that language, I'm all about it. And uh, since I've, I've been working on the loving side, I'm like, man, this is so much better. And then I have daughters. So like, (laughs) (laughs) there's a whole different side to it. There daughters are just so different and emotional and, you know, you get extreme emotions both ways and it really helps me better myself as a loving father. So I can see God better as a loving father through them. So that's helped out a bunch. You mentioned taking captive thoughts and moving through some depressive episodes in the past and even close to suicidal thoughts. And you felt like that God really saved you and kept you here on this earth. Like this, this is pretty deep. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to take the, Take the pill and see how, how far it goes. Huh? <laughs> yeah, yeah. You want to yeah, you want to share a time time of your life there and uh, kind of your your reflection on that and and where you are now from from that time of your life. Yeah, so kind of linking back to you know that that message that I had internalized. So this would have been just thirty. You know, my oldest son is three, going on four, and my youngest son is, my wife is pregnant with, with uh, Conrad at this point. So he's my younger son. Doing well for me in, in multiple domains as, as a father. Like work, work life was, was really tough. And, you know, things were slipping in my role as father. Things were slipping in my role as husband. 
there was a there was a fourth thing I kind of imagined myself as you know four four things that I'm supposed to be doing that I'm not doing very well in, in any of those things, and so that internalized message you know about being a, a stupid half breed Mexican and why why would you expect any of this to be going well right and so you know, another part of the shame that's looped into this is something so there was some kind of an argument that happened between my wife and I and I don't even remember what it was to be honest I don't know what what the content of the argument was but I blew up had a big rage moment and I was a I didn't hurt people physically but I would destroy things so I was a destroyer of of property and things and so that happened so I had a rage episode and made a big mess out of things and forced you know the my wife and my son out of the house. I told them to go to the mother-in-laws and made the statement that this was probably the, the last that they would see me. Wow. So, so that was my intent. They, they left and, you know, my, my intent was to, to go back into the house and, and, and end it. Some time went by and I had two options in front of me. I, one, because of the work that I've done up until this point, I know that if you if you overdose on sleeping pills, that they can't bring you back from it. There's there's nothing that they can do because it, it'll shut off your your brainstem. Is basically what ends up happening. So oh wow okay yeah and so that was an option. So I had a bottle full of uh, just Tylenol PM. So that that's what I was going to take, uh, and I had a pistol. So those are kind of the, the two options. Kind of debating back and forth, you know. What was I going to do? And as I started taking the pills, and I've had this experience multiple times. This isn't the first time that it's happened to me. But I heard this voice um, loud and clear, and it said, just go to sleep, wake up tomorrow, and start picking up the pieces. Huh. You know, it wasn't my voice. It wasn't, a, it, wasn't, it wasn't somebody on the phone. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't a, a neighbor at the door. You know, it was... It was definitely the the voice of God. So that's what I did. I only I only ended up taking a pill or two because um, I know it would you know get me asleep and you know I'd, I'd wake up the next day and start picking up the pieces. That was my that was my decision that was made that night. Well, of course I had already set a process in motion, which was you know I sent you know my wife and son away with the veiled yet pretty serious threat that you know, I was going to commit suicide. So she had uh, called the police and the police came and it took a couple hours because of course they were going into a domestic situation with a, with a potentially armed person. Right. So they had to get together a whole right. people to, to come do this. And uh, I remember I had just kind of, you know, fallen asleep and was asleep for a while. And then I could hear the bullhorn going off and, you, know, you need to come out of the house and blah 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 yada, yada, yada. so make a long story pretty short i ended up taking my first and only ride in the back of a police car and you know, was voluntarily put in a psych hold placement and that's a whole nother several hours of, of talking about how that unfolded but um, you know ultimately i had to make several decisions along the same lines of picking up the pieces and ultimately that's what I decided to, to, to do. So when I talk about how I had done a lot of work to kind of eradicate that 
internalized message. It was, this is kind of the beginning of that, right? So about age 30. And then that story about uh, hitting the, the, the newly planted fruit tree of the weed whacker was probably 41. So a couple of years ago, <laughs> yeah, uh, you know, and so where I thought I had eradicated it for the most part, I'd probably say 95, 97%, but uh, still in those moments of, gosh, that was a stupid thing to do. Then that's when that internalized message can come back. And if I'm not on top of it, it can, like I said, it can, it doesn't send me back to that dark suicidal place. Like I haven't felt it that way for, uh, for a long, long, long time, but it's enough to put me in a funk. It's enough to take me off. Um, my game. It's enough to temporarily put me on the sideline, so to speak. But, you know, I credit that moment of just go to sleep, pick up, wake up tomorrow morning and start picking up the pieces. I mean, that's definitely the, that was the Holy Spirit speaking to me. There's no other source for that. So that, that's that story. <laughs> How did you feel when you heard that voice? That's a good question. Yeah. I mean, especially as, as I think about, you know, what in, in the Bible, what, what, what we see people, how they responded to that voice, you know, I felt, and nobody's really asked me that. So that's, this is kind of a new, a new sifting through this. Um, I felt familiar because I said, it wasn't the first time that this has happened. It felt, I mean, I felt like it was reassuring and there was, it was, it was confidence. It was, it was hope, which you, you do that, you go through this thing, and then in less than 24 hours, you're like, I'm good. I, I, I get that I've got a lot to, to pick up and, and, and rectify and, and make right, but I'm good. And then people are like, what? You're like, you were just, <laughs> like, how can that be? So yeah, it was definitely, it was a, it was a comfort. It was, it was hope. It was support. It was reassurance. That's, that's how I would describe the feelings and the emotions associated with, with hearing that, that voice. Yeah, I would think so. I would think so. I think that'd give you a ton of just reassurance and kind of confidence that things are going to be okay. At that point, I have no idea how they're going to be okay. Right, However, right. somebody believes in me. Right. Yeah. You know, and, and I, yeah. in this case, we know who the somebody is, but yeah. And, and when I say I've heard that voice before, same that different, different contexts. This is another story that I tell where I was not that much, well, this one would have come after it, but I know I'll tell it anyway. So yeah, tell it. <laughs> I remember one time I was ripping my house, kind of lone wolfing it. So definitely I was doing it primarily all on my own. It was a little ranch house, you know, 1,300 yeah. square feet. So it wasn't like a too tricky of a, of a deal, but I've never ripped a house before, but you know, how hard could it be? And uh, I remember I was rolling out some, some flashing that I was going to add to the, to the ridge that was uh, zinc flashing. But the idea, we live in Oregon, it's raining right now. It rains all the time. So if you install zinc flashing, the rain will hit it. And then it'll take care of your moss issues without having to get up there all the time. So that was, that was the thought there. So I'm rolling out this flashing and I'm walking backwards on the... On the, on the, the peak? Yeah, of the garage. And so, and I'm just... You know, rolling that flashing, tacking it down, rolling that flashing, tacking it down. And I hear something in my head that says, clear as day, don't take another step. Right. Wow. So, then I, so then I stop, kind of stand straight up because I was hunched over, you know, doing yeah. this. And I look behind me. And if I had taken the next step, I would have fallen off backwards uh, onto the onto the, the, the concrete driveway. Holy cow. <laughs> so, so I, and I've had, you know, from adolescence and, being a, a young male teen, you know, I've had, this, I've heard the voice before. So it was familiar voice. 
What's another time where you, where you heard the voice? I remember one time, again, being young and dumb and full of testosterone and teenager, 16, 17, still in high school. You know, I remember there was a new group of guys from a different school that had kind of moved in on getting the attention and affection of, of the girls that were, you know, part of our group, so to speak. And so we knew that they were having a, a, a get together that was apart from you know, our typical get together place. So the, the, this is in the era of cell phones kind of being a thing, but not really. So caller ID and all that jazz. Uh, so we, anyway, we made some phone calls and we didn't appreciate what they said in return. So we drove over to their house and we were on their front porch and you know, we were going to fight. And I remember right. his voice. I remember this voice saying, this probably isn't a very good idea. You got, you got to <laughs> probably just, you know, go home. You know, <laughs> you know, and at this point I was probably the tip of the spear, so to speak, going in. And so when I said, Hey, this probably isn't a good idea. We got to go home. Everybody kind of followed suit and, and did that. You know? Oh, wow. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> um, so you just yeah, repeated so I, God's word back to him. Yeah. Yeah. To myself first, right. <laughs> Making sure that I was listening, but, uh, and I, you know, I, if I were to think about it, I, you know, I could probably come up with a handful of other ones, but. Like I said, this is, it's a familiar voice. And so when I look at all the things that I shouldn't have survived, right, you know, or all the things that, you know, would have drastically and dramatically put me on a different path in life. And for whatever reason, you know, I, I keep getting this course correction. And so that tells me that I'm here for a reason, right, that I need to figure out what that is and I need to start executing on that. Hmm. That's pr pretty interesting. The examples you, you brought up all had to do with protecting you, taking care of you, guiding you through a situation like that comforting and loving father and that space that wasn't there when you were a kid actually was. Absolutely. Hey, I've been here all along, buddy. You might've felt like I wasn't here, but I have been. Wow. That's really cool. Yeah. That, those times all fill that gap from when you were a kid. Oh my goodness. Wow. Um, thanks for making that connection. You're welcome. Ah, let me just breathe a bit here, folks. Just breathe a bit. I've heard there's some uh, ninjas cutting onions somewhere. So <laughs> somewhere you don't see them, but they're there, but they're yeah. there. They're in Salem, Oregon, apparently. Yeah. Yeah. I heard, uh, heard somebody else's eyeballs were sweating the other day. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah thanks for sharing that with us thanks for sharing that with us oh have you got anything you want to say uh you know i do these things dan and i this isn't the first time that i've done this you know i've, I've done this on you know, this podcast i've done it at the you know the, the last church that i was really connected with and these things live on you know in, in video files and audio files that are up there for people to discover and find. Every time that I've done it, it's resulted in people saying, you know, th thanks for sharing that. It helped whatever reason that, you know, that, that somebody tapped into it. So that's the, that's the reason why I'm willing to do it. And I continue to make myself open because you just don't know. And as much as I've had this, you know, kind of direct connection hearing this voice, God may be using discussion, this conversation, my voice to do the same. And so 
I would encourage anybody who everybody has a story to tell. And that's the part of the reason why I do the podcast that I do is I, I do believe that everybody has a story to tell. And I think it's important for us to share our stories because we just, we, we can't foreknow the power that it's going to have, but it, it definitely has power. And especially in today's media, internet world, social media world, we have the ability for our stories to impact thousands, tens of thousands, potentially millions. And it takes a little courage, takes a little gumption, but uh, find a way to get your story out there. And it's, it's not just, it's not about you, it's not about me, but it's about, if you, if you only speak to one person who's impacted by your story, well, uh, mission accomplished. Yeah, absolutely. And Jesus' example, stories and questions. Yeah. Yeah. Why didn't that guy ever tell me anything? He just told me stories and asked me questions. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my goodness. I mean, he told a few things, but, man, could he tell a story and ask some questions? So that's great. Oh, so Upgraded Life Podcast, that's how you can hear more of Nick great place to go. It's a podcast that's in my rotation. Uh, he's got so many different people and varieties there. Loved how open you were with our conversation today, you know, cause you're, you're around a high performance culture, but then also a strong Christian that's willing to talk about things and, and be bold with your faith. Uh, and I appreciate how you encourage others to step into that as well. Stories. So, so good. Like learn your stories and share those with others. And at the same time, listen into other people's stories. And rather than pat them on the back and tell them good job and move on, ask two, three, four more questions. Mm -hmm. And had we stopped a little bit with where I had planned on stopping, we'd have never got to that space. So yeah. it was cool that I had that thought of, Hey, let's, there's more here. Yeah. So let's, let's bring it in. And uh, yeah, I love when people tell me their, their stories of when they heard God's direct voice audibly. And most of the time, a lot of people can remember it word for word and like it just happened. And yeah, so thanks for sharing some of those stories that you've had with us. Yeah. All right. So we'll put a link to your, your show in the show notes. We always like to end off with a challenge and uh, you might even have a little something extra that you want to tell the audience or share with the audience before we do the challenge. So open it up and have you finish off with a, a thought about journey of a Christian dad, being a dad, Christianity or hard charging and Christianity all tied yeah. together. And, and then we'll finish her off with the challenge. I think my parting words, you know, journey of a Christian dad is it's never too late. I think there's a lot of, there's a lot of dads who think that they've screwed it up and they're at the point of no return. And, Maybe that's because you're a dad and you're divorced or for whatever reason you weren't part of your kid's life or you've done or said something that has created damage, and separation and divide. And the truth is, is that there's always a path back. There's always a way for you to, to take up that role as dad. So don't, so don't believe that lie that it's too late, that uh, it's not going to work. doesn't mean that you don't have a lot of mess to clean up. I'm not saying that, right? And you may have to prove yourself, you know, a hundred times over because of your choices up until this point. Every kid deserves a dad. Every kid wants a dad, but you can't blame them if they're skeptical based on how you've performed up to this point. So that's what I want to 
leave in terms of parting words. It's, 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 too, it's never too late. You can find a pathway back to take up that father role, no matter what your situation is. Wow. Yeah, that is so good and so true. Like it's tough to trust the new behaviors when the old ones happen for such a long time. Correct. Such a long time. Yep, for sure. Have you got a challenge you want to throw out to the guys? A challenge? You want me to offer a challenge? Here's a challenge. If you want to know how you're doing, you know, as a, as a husband and a father, ask the people that are rece- receiving that role from you. So that's my challenge. Go to your kids. It doesn't matter how old they are, right? Go to your, go to your spouse and just ask them, like, how am I doing as a husband? How am I doing as a father? What, what do you want to see more of? What do you want to see less of? And I'm asking out of a commitment to be intentional about taking this serious and being intentional about making the changes that I need, that you're asking me to make bit by bit every single day. Oh, that's great. I love that one. I love that one. No matter where you are, it's always nice to check in and get some feedback. And you might think you're cruising along great. And in reality, you're, you're off track on some things, or you might think you're off track on some things and get the opposite feedback. So yeah, so, so good. Well, that's it for this episode of the journey of a Christian dad podcast with Nick, Dr. Nick Satello. Don't let me shortcut the doctor. So Dr. Nick Satello. <laughs> I uh, loved having you on, love the conversation. And this one, uh, this one is definitely going to touch some of our listeners and help so many people. So thank you again for not only this episode, but also your ongoing friendship and how much you just give to others and help others. So thank you, Dr. Nick. Yeah, my pleasure. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on, Dan. You bet. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Journey of a Christian Dad podcast. Thank you guys for being a light. Shine that light out and let others see it. With you guys, part of this community, it helps me be accountable to you guys. It helps me be accountable to myself, be accountable to God and Jesus. I hope you appreciated this episode and picked up some great things. I hope you like the challenge and hope you can execute on that challenge this week. I ask of you, please subscribe, share the show with others. Join us inside of the Journey of a Christian Dad on Facebook, inside our private community. Share that community with others. Have your buddies join. Have other dads that are looking to grow in their faith, grow as spiritual leaders of their family. As we engage in our journey and be intentional with it, we can help others grow theirs as well. We thank you again for listening. We thank you for all your reviews. Look forward to reading a review of yours on a future show. So, dear God, Thanks for blessing all of us, and thanks for drawing us closer to you. In your name we pray. Amen. Have fun, guys.